أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد uh, We'll jump back to one last hadith uh, remaining in the uh, Bab Hukma Zakati wa Bayan Bayani Fadliha that we did not cover uh, uh, last week because of its length and its importance, and my desire to have a little bit of free time to discuss certain uh, issues that are connected with it. Uh, the purpose of this dars is not to be academic, otherwise, we would have made it uh, part of a course and made prerequisites for it. But the purpose of this dars is to examine the hadith of the Prophet as ordered by Imam Nawawi and the Riyadh al-Salihin as being a guide for us how, how we have to navigate our own saluk to Allah Ta'ala. And if any five of us should get together at one time, then how we will navigate in small groups our saluk to Allah Ta'ala. And if any larger number of us should get together at one time, at that level, how we're how we're going to navigate our saluk toward Allah Subhanahu wa Taala based on the guidance of the Quran and the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam's noble sunnah. Uh, and so, there are certain things that may be extraneous to the text. If it was a matter of just sard of reading it, we could finish the book. We could have finished the book years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I suspect that's not that's not what people come for, and it's not what this particular class of people who listens to this darsh needs. Uh, and uh, Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala help uh, all of the above that's an important that's an important thing as well people should learn Arabic they should go over the grammar of the of the hadith they should go over the uh, details of uh, the lexical uh, richness of what's being said and we try to do that a little bit but if from time to time we go away from that and have a larger discussion um, that may not be had in a lot of places and uh, uh, so this is a place to have it and if you want to mashallah I'm pretty sure Dar Salaam and Dar Qasim and the other uh, Madaris will do a better job teaching Riyadh Salihin uh, uh, in the more conventional way An Sayyidina Abi Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ma min sahibi dhahabin wa la fiddatin la yuaddi minha haqqaha illa kana wa illa idha kana yawm al-qiyamati صفحت له صفائح من نار فأحمي عليها في نار جهنم فيقوى بها جنبه وجبينه وظهره كلما بردت أعيدت له في يوم كان مقداره خمسين ألف سنة حتى يقضى بين العباد فيرى سبيله إما إلى الجنة وإما إلى النار so it's a long hadith. I'll read part of it and we'll talk about part of it. But this is not the end of the hadith. Uh, so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to his companions radiallahu anhum that there's no one who has possession of gold and silver. Here the meaning is the nisab of gold and the nisab of silver. The amount of, that a person has to have of wealth that makes them obligated to pay zakat there's nobody who has this amount of gold or silver uh, 
and along with having it that doesn't pay its right doesn't pay its haq that Allah Ta'ala has due in it except for on the day of judgment there will be bars of uh, uh, metal um, that are heated on the fire and in fact the, the wording of the hadith is what? Sufihat lahu safa'ihu min narin. So the safa'ih are what? They are those things that tubi'a uh, biha. Uh, that things are branded with. So it's as if it's a majaz that the safa'ih are from, from fire. They're obviously not fire, they're obviously metal. But the reason they're referred to as fire is that the uh, the reason they're referred to as fire is because of how hot they are, because of their quality, their color. It's as if it's fire. So these safa'ih, these brands, are heated so much that they uh, become as if they're fire. And they are heated by what source of heat? The fire of Jahannam. And then they are used as brands to burn the uh, sides of the person who didn't pay their zakat. And the jabin, the forehead of the person who doesn't pay the zakat, and the back of the person who doesn't uh, pay the zakat. Uh, every time it cools, because when you take metal in you, come, come sit in front, inshallah. Come sit where I can see you guys. Inshallah. The closer you sit, the more ajr, the more phase there is, right? And they're not going to do it unless they see you do it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, like, if you take metal and you brand something with it, immediately there's a transfer of heat from the metal to the thing that's being branded. That's how the branding process works. Obviously, you guys don't play with fire because your father would be upset. But if when no one was home, you know, and no one was looking, you'd never get caught. If you take like a pair of tongs and take like a needle or a pin or like, uh, don't do it with a penny because the penny will melt. The inside is zinc. And so it will just burn and become ash and like a molten piece of it might actually set the house on fire or whatever. But do it with like a, a, a dime or a quarter, right? When it becomes hot, red hot, if you drop it like on a watermelon rind or whatever, you'll notice that the heat immediately upon touching the thing, it transfers out, it's gone. And it leaves like a burn mark like in the shape of a quarter or whatever on the, on the rind. Um, obviously, we're not talking about burning watermelon, we're talking about burning people. But that's not a good experiment to do. And small animals, also not good. People are going to be like, this guy went to the darts with some weird shape and now they're like <laughs> burning small... No, don't do it. But I'm just saying that's the idea, is that it cools down when it touches the person. And uh, uh, so this is that every time it's cooled, then it will be returned to the fire to be heat, heated up and to, to be heated up again and to uh, uh, torture the person again uh, with it. And this will all happen on a day that is 50,000 years from what you currently, how you do your calculations. It will be 50,000 years long this one day. And then 
afterward when Allah Ta'ala judges between his slaves. And every person then afterward will know where they're going to end up. Are they going to end up in Jannah? Are they going to end up in the hellfire? So the indication is that this is not the punishment of Jahannam. This is what will happen before that. This will happen on the Day of Judgment. Jahannam has other punishments in it for people who do these things. Even the person, even the person who is like, well, I have la ilaha illallah. I'm going to Jannah. I'm Arab. I'm going to Jannah. I'm Pakistani. Of course I'm going to Jannah, right? Right? That's how, how it will work, right? Right? It's like, no. But a lot of people, they're like, yeah, you know. Jodhan Agast, you know, Pakistan Day. We're, we're, we're set. We're, we're set. We don't pray. We don't do anything, whatever. We just, like, act like tough Muslims, like at times that are convenient for our political identity or whatever. And then the rest of it is, like, less Ramadan and more Chandrat party, right? No problem. Allah Ta'ala's mercy is bigger than people's sins. Maybe Allah will forgive everybody. No problem. Right? No problem. It, does, it wouldn't surprise me if Allah forgave people. But still, this is before everyone gets to Jannah. This is on the Day of Judgment, which should kind of scare people, right? A, because the punishment of Jahannam is going to be worse. And B, you might have to go through all of that, even though Allah forgives you and go to Jannah, you may have to go through all that anyway. There's some hikmah for it. We'll talk about all of that. Anyhow. Uh, anyhow. The uh, um, the point is that this is all before people make it to their maqam in Jannah or in Jahannam. This is all the Day of Judgment. Now, before people get scared, they're like, oh my God, Yom Qiyamah, 50,000 years, that's actually, like, that sounds so horrible, this and that. Ibn Allah, the commentator, he makes sure to mention a, uh, uh, that, uh, the, the, that the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said that for the people of piety and righteousness, it's different. He says, في يوم كان مقداره خمسين ألف سنة يعني على الكافرين ونحوهم من الفسقة والمتمردين المانعين حق الله تبارك وتعالى وحق عباده. He says that this, the day of judgment will be 50,000 years long for who? For the kuffar and for those people who took their deen not only not seriously, they didn't even try. In fact, they were pretty evil people. There are people who could say, yeah, I believe in Allah and I believe in the Prophet is true and that the Qur'an is true and still like end up like, I don't know, robbing people and killing people and harming people or whatever. That this long form and utterly horrible experience of the Day of Judgment, it's for them. It's important not to scare people too much. The scariness is what? It's for the people who didn't prepare for it. He says, so that the believers, that's for the believers, according to their ranks, for some of them, it will last as long as the two raka'ahs of Fajr. Right? The sunnah of the two raka'ahs of Fajr, according to Malik, is that you read Fatiha, you don't even read a second surah. And they were described by Sayyidina Aisha عنها, as being so fast that she wondered if the Prophet even reading Fatiha or not. And for the rest of them, the normies, what will it be? It will be like half a day, like from morning time until like lunchtime or till Zohar time. So it's important to be scared that it shouldn't be like that. But if you're trying your best and you're really trying hard also, you shouldn't be so like overwhelmed like, oh, I'm going to go to Jahannam, why even try it, right? That's, that's also a type of extremism as well. 
that's not piety. That's just being dumb because you will burden yourself. It's like somebody who's like trying to like, you're going to go somewhere. And so instead of like sitting in the car and going, you try to carry the car on your back. It doesn't make any sense. There's no point to it. That's not what the car is for. So we continue that the day of judgment. Hamza, if there's a place even further than that, are you going to sit there? Come sit close. Alhamdulillah, Too late. No, sit close. MashaAllah. So that's what happens with the person who uh, doesn't give the, the haq of the silver and gold. The ayn, cash for zakat. Now, Aside from the fact that this happens before the day, before the going to Jannah or Jahannam or before the Hisab is done, which would scare people, uh, there's another question, which is, why such a horrible, why such a horrible punishment, and why is Zakat singled out for being such a horrible punishment? So this question, keep it in your mind, inshallah. There's more to the Hadith. We'll read through the Hadith and we'll answer that question. As we go through. Qila ya Rasulullahi fal ibilu. Qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wala sahiba ibilin. Illa sahiba ibilin. La yu addi minha haqqaha. Wa min haqqiha halbuha yuma wurudiha or wurdiha. Illa ila kana yawm qiyamati butiha laha biqa'in. قَرْقَرٍ أَوْفَرَ مَا كَانَتْ لَا يَفْقِدُ مِنْهَا فَصِيلًا وَاحِدًا تَطَأُهُ بِأَخْفَافِهَا وَتَعُضُّهُ بِأَفْوَاهِهَا كُلَّمَا مَرَّ عَلَيْهِ أُولَاهَا رُدَّ عَلَيْهِ أُخْرَاهَا فِي يَوْمٍ كَانَ مِقْدَارُهُ خَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةٍ حَتَّى يُقْضَى بَيْنَ الْعِبَادِ فَيَرَى سَبِيلَه so then someone asked, okay, this is, the Rasulullah was asked, okay, this is what you mentioned before, what happens to the person who doesn't give the, the haq of zakat in cash and gold and silver. What about the camels? So he mentioned something. So the, the I mean, Imam Nawi brings this hadith in the context of the chapter regarding the ruling of zakat and the explication of its virtue, right? So it's talking about the right of zakat. When the question is asked with regards to camels, the assumption is this, this is the zakat that's paid on camels. Right, because there are roughly three different classes of zakat. There's actually a fourth class as well, but at any rate, there's different classes of zakat. One is the zakat on silver and gold, and a number of things that carry analogy with it, like arud, like your inventory, your stock in like a store or whatever. And then one is the uh, class of zakat that's paid on livestock. Livestock has its own nisab. It's different than the nisab of uh, of uh, um, of cash silver and gold and it has a rate at which it's levied which is different than the rate at which the zakat and cash silver gold inventory is levied 
it's a different schedule as well uh, for its levy. It has different rules. And then the third category is agricultural produce. There are certain crops on which zakat is levied. And there are different rates and different schedules. Obviously, the zakat is not going to be paid on crops based on the lunar year. Why? Because harvests are based on the solar year. And uh, etc. Like all these things have to be learned. So the context is what is zakat? The Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says here that he was asked about camels. He says that he says that there won't be a an owner of camels that doesn't give the right of the camel. Uh, again, ostensibly the context is zakat that doesn't give the rights of owning those camels. Uh, and then he says, and from the rights of owning those camels is what is allowing the poor and the traveler and the person who seeks it the right to drink from the milk of those camels the day the camels are watered. This is also a right, it's a customary right that if somebody's passing by, you don't have to give the camel to them. You don't have to give them money, but something as simple as just sharing the milk with them. And this is what? This is on the day that the camel is milked. So you take it, oftentimes most people don't have their own independent water source. So you have to take it to a well or you have to take it to a lake or some part of public property where people, or semi-public or at least shared property, where people and animals gather. Uh, and so if somebody needs it, you know, uh, that it's the haq that you should at least let them drink from the milk. It's not going to kill anything for you, right? Uh, and so he says, even that haq, the zakat is there in its place, obviously. This haq is less than that. You have, theoretically, you can say no, like there's nothing, you know, the camel can't give you milk. You can shoo them away. They're not, like with zakat, you can, the judge can ascertain, did you pay your zakat, yes or no? And they can impose a penalty. This is something, it's a haq by custom, but it's not, it's not something that a judge can impose a penalty on easily. It's not easily ascertainable that did that person say no and they were able to give it or whatever. They could say, just make up an excuse, oh, the animals are sick and that's it. You can't ascertain whether they're telling the truth or not. So there's no real case to judge here. But he's saying zakat is in its own place. Even a lesser haq, like what? Like uh, uh, letting people drink from the milk on the day that you take it out of your property uh, to and out of the badia to a place where other people might be uh, in order to drink. He says, he says that nobody will not give the haq, including this haq of allowing people to drink the milk on the day that it is watered. Except for that person on the day of judgment will be thrown in a, an open, vast desert field. And all of those animals will come back that you owned. Those camels, that, that herd of camels that a person owned. Camels are herds, right? They're not flocks, are they? I don't know. This is what Zuhair, like, it's good to have Zuhair around for these things, right? So, all of them will show up again, and they will be as heavy as their heaviest that they were, and they will trample uh, that person with their, the pads of their feet, and they will bite that person with their mouths. So this is an interesting, interesting fact about camels, right? Camels are known to have a long memory, and they take things personally. 
and they'll hold a grudge for a really long time, seven, eight years, 10 years down the road. If you did something to a camel, it will hold a grudge and it will wait until it can get you. It's not tied up. There's not other people to help help you, etc. It knows it can get away with it. Like it's just you and it in the desert and it will satisfy its grudge. And it will go so crazy on that person that it will harm them any way it can to the point where it will actually eat the flesh of a person. Not because it's a carnivore. It's obviously not a carnivore. That's not its diet. It's not its nutrition. That's not what feeds it. It's just doing it out of anger. So the camels are also upset, like, at the person, right? Tu beli, te sabjag beli, an beli, vi beli, right? It's a line of, like, whatever, Saif al-Muluk, uh, Mia Muhammad Bash, that, ya Allah, if you're uh, my, my, you know, my friend, then the entire world is my friend. Even the unfriend is a friend. It's weird, Urdu has exactly the same expression in it. Even the unbelievable, unfriend is even a friend. Not Urdu, Punjabi, sorry, right? Even the unfriend is your friend if Allah. And then the mafhum al-mukhalif is what? Is that if Allah Ta'ala hates you, then everybody hates you, even your friends hate you. billah. Even your property, everything has it out for you at that point. So the idea is what? Is that the camel will, will literally bite you with, with its own mouth. It will eat parts of you, bite your flesh off and things like that. And once the first of them has passed, the last of them will come back in line around, right? It's the same concept, right, with the, with the metal brand, is that once it's branded a person, then it will be heated again, and then the whole process starts over again. The side and the, the, the forehead and the back, just like that, the camels, they'll trample and bite a person again and again in a line. And they'll take it out on the person that they didn't fulfill the haqq of the camel. It's a type of abuse, right? It's a type of abuse. We talk about like abuse, right? Spiritual abuse. So there's m- m- abuse in property as well. Part of the abuse of the property is that you didn't give its right. You didn't use it properly. You didn't use it properly. Qila ya Rasulullah fal wal ghanam. Then someone said, what about, Ya Rasulullah, what about cattle? And ghanam, ghanam is a term that includes like sheep and goats. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, قَالَ وَلَا صَاحِبِ بَقْرٍ وَلَا غَنَمٍ لَا يُؤَدِّ مِنْهَا حَقَّهَا إِلَّا إِذَا كَانَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ بُطِحَ لَهَا بِقَاعٍ قَرْقَرٍ لَا يَفْقِدُ مِنْهَا شَيْئًا لَيْسَ فِيهَا Then the question asks, what about the cattle and what about the uh, herds of sheep and goat? And he said that there's no, there's no uh, owner of cattle and uh, herds of sheep and goat uh, 
that the right of them has not been given, which is again what the zakat first. First, it's the zakat. Primarily, the 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 primary right is what is the zakat, and then afterward there are other rights as well, like feeding the uh, giving milk to a, a passerby on the day it's watered, etc. Except for on the on the day of judgment, that person will be tossed into an open flat desert uh, and uh, none of his flock will be absent. Uh, neither the one that had horns, nor the one that didn't have horns, nor the one whose horns were broken. Uh, uh, except for they will butt him, they'll ram him with the horns and uh, they will uh, trample him with the hooves, right? Again, the ramming is not mentioned for the camel because that's not how a camel attacks a person. Whereas with cattle, interestingly enough, cattle and uh, ghanam, right, the sheep and goats, what do they do? They charge and they ram, uh, you know, their antagonists and adversaries from other animals and people. And this is an interesting discussion as well, which is it's mentioned in the books that the ibil, the camel, and ghanam are actually species from Jannah that are brought to this earth as a gift for human beings. But the mention isn't made of cattle. This is why there is a, a ritually specified mode for how the slaughter of camel should be, the nahar, and there's a specified mode of how the uh, slaughter for uh, ghanam should be made of sheep and goats. Whereas the Baqar, it's Qiyas that you make Dhabh, not Nahar, but if it, the opposite happens, it's Makroob, it's still, you can still eat it. Interestingly enough, Wallahu A'lam, Allah Ta'ala knows best. We know that the uh, cattle itself is actually a domesticated wild animal that used to have range all over, uh, all over uh, Eurasia. Europe is a fiction, it doesn't exist as a continent. It's just that our more distant Indo-European cousins like to act like we're not related. And to be honest with you, sometimes I like to act like we're not related either. But the truth is the truth. Right? So, it's a, a species called an auroch with a CH at the end. Completely irascible. They've been hunted to, in the wild to extinction. The only aurochs that survive are the ones that were domesticated. But this is why like bulls and things like that, they, they're like uh, far more testy than than, than other animals are. Like you can ride a camel, you cannot ride a ride ride cattle in that way. Because their domestication happened like later on. Um, and Allah Allah Ta'ala knows best about all of these things. This is not like a point of aqidah. So it's like, whoa, what about the camel, this and that's so okay, calm down. Like it's just it's this is hikayah. You don't you can accept whatever makes sense to you and you can reject whatever doesn't. But the point is is that the uh, the the auroch, right? Like it can kill a person, it can kill a man if it charges them. That's what it's going to do. It's going to charge a person and kill them, right? If you see like a flock of, of ram, of, of sheep uh, in the wild, that wolf cannot just walk in and grab one and pull it out. It has to kind of have some strategy, right? It has to separate the old or the weak from the flock and then kill it quickly enough that the flock realizes that the sheep it killed is already dead and it's, there's no way of getting it back and so there's no point in attacking the wolf. Otherwise, if the flock stays together and the rams see the wolf coming, they'll butt it, they'll gore it to death with their horns, right? 
So here the mention is what? The mention is the person who doesn't give the haq of their flocks, cattle and ghanam. Uh, that those, those that person will be thrown into an open field, an open desert, and they will be uh, uh, gored by those animals, whether they have horns or the horns were broken or uh, whatever, or no horns at all. They'll be gored by, by them, and they'll be trampled under hoof by them. Uh, and once the, you know, once the, the uh, one part of the flock has passed, the other part, part will start over the process again on a day uh, that is uh, five, uh, 50, sorry, 50,000 uh, years long. Uh, and this will happen again and again until uh, Allah Ta'ala, his, his judgment has been passed over the slaves and everybody will know uh, where their path will end, either to Jannah or to Jahannam. Uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was asked, uh, what, what, about, what about horses, O Messenger of Allah? So here, the idea again is that the hadith is mainly about zakat, but a horse doesn't have zakat on it. A horse is tax exempt. A horse is tax exempt. And, uh, you know, just like that, there are like zakat shelters in wealth. If you put the money into a business, then you don't have to pay zakat on it as if you had, to, had it in your bank account. If you buy horses, you don't have to pay money on the zakat unless you're actually like sell horses as inventory, right? Like as a business that happens all the time um, or for business, right? There's some details in it, but in general, it's a zakat refuge. It's a zakat shelter, right? Like a tax shelter. So the sharia, one person might say, oh, look, this is cheating. No, the sharia actually wanted to encourage the money not to be sitting in bank accounts, to, but to circulate in the economy, cash, liquidity, etc. I mean, it's a good system. And this is one of the things I wanted to talk about at the end, which may be not directly part of the Riyadh al-Salihin text or whatever, but it's important, it should be discussed. So he asked now about horses. Now there's no zakat on horses again, unless you literally, your business is buying and selling horses. There's no zakat on horses for a person or owning horses, even if they have a lot of horses, if it's not their business, which is most people. So it was asked, uh, what about horses, uh, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, uh, there are three types of horses. There's one horse which will be a burden, and one horse which will be a screen, and one horse which will be a reward. He said, as for the horse that is a burden, um, it is a man who uh, kept the horse, literally tied the horse. Uh, it's for the man who kept the horse just to show off and just to boast and uh, uh, just to like make pretense in front of the people of Islam uh, and it will be a burden on them. Because why do people keep horses, right? One is the common usage, which is conveyance, right? I have a really nice horse, I can show off to people. In particular though, one of the reasons people used to keep horses and probably or possibly or certainly, depending on who you ask, one of the reasons that zakat is not there on horses is because how was war primarily fought for most of the history of the ummah? It was fought from horseback. Allah Ta'ala says in his book, لِتَرْكَبُوهَا وَزِينَةً That the, the, the khayl and bighal and hamir, the uh, horse 
and the um, mule, which is half horse and half donkey and the donkeys, they're there for you to uh, ride. And it's a beauty for a person that a person who rides comes riding on a horse. There's a type of beauty in it. People still like to ride horses, even though in most jurisdictions it's somewhat obsolete use, but people still ride it. Interestingly enough, I don't recall ever rid having ridden a horse back with the reins in my own hand. Like maybe as a kid, like on like one of those weird pony wheel things, like I've done it, right? But I don't ever recall having ridden horses. But I like horse people. Why? Because the horse is like a living thing. You can't just get in it like a Honda Civic, right? You have to be sensitive. You have to understand what does the horse want? What is it trying to tell you? What does it need? How to make it do something that you want it to do? how to reward it, how to punish it, how to whatever. The further and further you go with the horse, the more you understand, the more sensitive you have to be because you can't just talk to the horse. You can't just be like, hey, I'm paying you $5 an hour, just do what I say and like <laughs> clock out afterward. And then the horse is like, well, I have rights, we've unionized, we have to have this many days of vacation. You can't do that. You have to be a lot more sensitive and a lot more uh, in touch with not only your own emotions, but the idea of like another living thing, what drives another living thing, you know? And uh, further than that, a, a, a horse and a rider that that are have been with each other for a very long time they have a sort of connection with one another which is you know it's a transcendent connection they say that like the mongols for example who are not muslims at least in the beginning that every mongol had like four horses and so they would switch which one they ride and one of the reasons that their armies could reach from one place to the other so with such agility was like they would do weird stuff like they would like ride the horse while asleep and the horse would just keep going and you know when one of them gets tired they switch to another one if they're in a desert that has no like the shortcut sometimes the fastest route from one place to another is to through the desert right uh, or through a place that's very inhospitable and so you can't lead an army through there because what are they going to eat what are they going to drink so what the mongols would do they would cut a blood vessel and they would drink the blood of the horse and they would keep going now, that's totally haram and gross, <laughs> right? But the idea is that the horse and the rider still, they were tight enough like that that they could do that and still the horse will like go with them. It still follows order, still everything. And, you know, to the point where the rider at some point or another can actually like slaughter the horse and eat it and the other ones will still go along with it. It means that they had a very tight connection with the horse. Anyhow, uh, so that's one thing is that the horse you ride is kind of like a status symbol, like the car you have nowadays. But further than that, the purpose of the horse was to carry a person in war. And so the Mongols were all horsemen, so they could rally a large amount of cavalry very quickly. The way this problem was solved in Europe during the Middle Ages is basically what would happen is a king rules over a country by divine right or what they would claim is divine mandate. And then they would divide up the country amongst a number of, uh, of feudal lords or basically like thug tax collectors. They were allowed to collect taxes and they were allowed to bear arms and they were allowed to rule their small like hill that they ruled with no oversight or nearly no oversight, practically no oversight whatsoever. The people who lived underneath them were barely more than slaves. And their expectation was you work the land, you get to eat, and we get the rest. And why did the king give that favor to, you know, his group of thugs? 
right? Knights were all thugs, basically. Why did he give that that uh, uh, right to the thugs of the uh, of that territory? In exchange for if, if the king has to go to war, that depending on how much land that he gave rule over to this knight, that knight then is obligated to bring a certain number of soldiers to war. That knight has to come with his own arms, he has to come with his own weapons, he has to come with his own uh, riding beasts, conveyance, tools, squires, pages, etc. Right? Islam had a different concept. This is one of the reasons the Muslims pack, you know, punched above their pay grade in terms of battle, which was what? Every person is free, every person has rights, every person fights, every person has their own horse. Obviously, in reality, not everyone had their own horse, but Islam encouraged it. A, horses are zakat exempt. B, there's so much reward that is written in the Book of Allah Ta'ala for the person who keeps a horse, specifically so that that horse can go out in the path of Allah Ta'ala. Why? Because keeping a horse isn't cheap. We were talking about centuries in which people didn't find enough food to eat. But here... Allah Ta'ala is saying, look, you feed yourselves and find a way for the horse to eat and drink and you'll get reward for it. Why? Because the defense of the Islam and the Muslims in their homeland was dependent on this because there's a lot of people out there. They're not thrilled about the fact that you tell them that they can't drink or eat pork or worship idols and uh, they're going to come for you. So you got to be prepared. Don't just think that they're sitting at home saying like, oh yeah, you know, like we're all like whatever, like kumbaya and we are the world and we are the children and whatever, right? That's not, that's not how that works. That's not how real life works. People want you to think that's how it's, it works so you don't prepare while they're busy. Preparing. It's a fact of life. So what happens is that the, 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 the horses are for this particular use. So what the Prophet is saying here, that the person for whom the horse will be a burden on the day of judgment, meaning it will go against their account, is that they only kept it to show off they only kept it to uh, uh, to boast about look how like how how nice my ride is basically, and they only did it to uh, you know to make people from Islam think oh look this guy's a big ghazi they're prepared a big horse for the sake of Allah Taala but when it's time to go out they're a complete munafik they don't do any they don't go out they don't sacrifice they don't spend they don't do anything for the defense of Islam or for the defense of the Muslims. That person, everything about that horse is going to count against them like a sin on the Day of Judgment. So the Rasul says, as for the second person for whom the horse is a screen, uh, 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 and it says the, the person for whom the horse is a screen, meaning a screen between that that will protect him from the fire of the hell uh, the, uh, of Jahannam. That that person is the one who bound or tied the horse in the path of Allah. Meaning his intention was that if I have to go out in the path of Allah Ta'ala, this horse is for me to go, right? Like well, how did Islam in, incentivize incentivize keeping horses? Another way is that Ghanima, the spoils of war when a w battle is won and treasure comes from it. By law, a fifth of it the state can take for certain other usage. By law, those people who participated either materially or, or substantially in some other way in the battle, they all receive shares. The person who, as a foot soldier, he receives one share. The person who comes in the horse receives three. One for the foot soldier and two for the horse because they spent all the money keeping the horse ready for battle. That's something I forgot to, I forgot to mention from 
from before. There's another thing I'll remember it as well. At any rate, so this is a person who keeps the horse ready for the sake of Allah. His intention in keeping the horse was that if we have to go out in the path of Allah Ta'ala, this horse will be ready. Yes, this is the thing I wanted to mention, is that even the word knight, what does a, a knight, a knight is a, a mounted soldier. The word for knight in Spanish is what? Caballero, right? Which means horseman. The peons, foot soldiers, they had to provide from their, from their workers who worked their land, but they themselves were expected to come mounted on horseback. Because uh, uh, cavalry, is, uh, ca the word ca cavalry is like a cognate for caballero, right? Caballo in Spanish, which I'm assuming is the same thing that, like, I forget, I don't, I don't know what the Latin word is, but it's a cognate for, like, a word in Latin, right? That's what it means. And this is a word also for gentlemen as well. To this day, a gentleman is not somebody who has good manners or whatever. It's a person who the state ceded some part of its monopoly for violence to, <laughs> which is actually kind of like a really thuggish, like gangster, like type of thing, like Norteño, Surianu, Crips and Bloods and Aryan Brotherhood and guerrilla family type, you know, thing, right? But then later on, they kind of did like some PR work and like rehabilitated their image or whatever. But they really, they were just thugs that were able, allowed to like beat up normal people in order to, in exchange for having their violence on, on, demand ready for the king for whenever the king wants to exhort violence on people inside or outside the country. So at any rate, the system in Islam is different that every citizen is a citizen and every person is expected to be ready to, for the defense of their homeland. Some parts of Islamic history, they held to this bargain better than others. History is a separate topic, but this is theoretically the way the system is supposed to work. So he says that the person for whom the horse will be a screen between, meaning ostensibly between them and the hellfire, is the person who tied that horse uh, with the intention of taking it in the path of Allah Ta'ala, and they never uh, uh, forgot. As long as they kept that horse, what is the right of, right of the back of the horse, nor what is the right, right of the neck of the horse. Um, and so that, that horse will be a, a screen between that person and the hellfire. What is the right of the back of the horse that the horse should carry? carry that person on the day that they have to go to battle. It's not there to show off to relatives or whatever. You can use it for other reasons. You can use it to go around and etc. But you should have trained it and prepared it for that day. And you always remember that. It's always in your mind that the day that that's needed, that, that this horse will carry me. And like that, the neck of the horse, what is the right of the neck of the horse? That you also keep the horse, you treat the horse in a way that also means that it should always be ready. It should be trained, it should be given to eat, it should be given to drink, it should be kept in a good condition, right? It shouldn't be emaciated or whatever, so that it cannot, it cannot uh, perform well in battle. وَأَمَّا الَّذِي هِيَ لَهُ أَجْرٌ فَالرَّجُلٌ رَبَطَهَا أَوْ رَبِطَهَا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ لِأَهْلِ الْإِسْلَامِ فِي مَرَجٍ أَوْ رَوْضَةٍ فَمَا أَكَلَتْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْمَرَجِ ولا مر بها صاحبها على نهر فشربت منه ولا يريد أن يسقيها إلا كتب الله له عدد ما شربت حسنات. So and then the third is what the third which is the reward of the the horse for the person uh, that the reward the horse that's reward for that person is what is a person 
who uh, takes that uh, horse in the path of Allah Ta'ala uh, for the sake of the Muslims, that that horse is not taken to any uh, uh, pasture nor any uh, uh, place of greenery, except for whatever it eats from that pasture or place of greenery, Rola is like a garden, um, a place of, 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 of lush greenery. It doesn't eat anything except for however many times it eats, uh, that's how many times a good deed will be written for that person. And however many times it defecates and however many times it urinates. Every single one of them is a good deed written for a person. So imagine that. An animal takes a crap or an animal takes a piss. To put it colloquially, not, not language that's perhaps befitting of a, a, a majlis of ilm that we mentioned from before that this majlis is about a person's suluk. And the reason I mentioned this mode of language in this majlis is so that a person can understand. It may mean nothing to you, or it may be something to laugh at for you and me, but to Allah Ta'ala, it means something. So what's more important? What you think or what Allah Ta'ala thinks? You're not going to make jannah, you're not going to reward yourself or each other. right? Allah Ta'ala is the one who writes reward. He's the one saying every time that horse eats in the path of Allah Ta'ala, every time that horse drinks, every time that horse urinates and defecates, every single one of those things is what? Is a reward for, uh, for the, 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 the person who owns it. Nor will it pass by, uh, nor will it, uh, its owner pass by it, uh, with, pass by it with or with it uh, past a river that A river or a place that it wishes to give water to the horse, except for Allah Ta'ala will write for that person a separate good deed for every single time it drinks. Qila ya Rasulullahi falhumru. Qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ma unzila alayya fil humri shay'un illa hadhi al-ayatul fadhatul jami'ah. Faman ya'mal mithqala dharratin khayran yarah. Wa man ya'mal mithqala dharratin sharran yarah. وهذا لفظ مسلم ومعنى القاعي المكان المستوي في الأرض الواسع والقرقر الأملس. So they asked, what about Ya Rasulullah? What about uh, we went through what silver and gold, we went through camels, we went through cattle and ghanam, we went through horses. So what about what about donkeys, Ya Rasulullah? Again, donkey, there's no there's no zakat on donkeys. He says. I was not shown any revelation with regards to donkeys. This is also the truthfulness of the Prophet He said, I wasn't shown anything with regards to that. He says, all I can say with regards to donkeys is what? This ayah, which is unique and it gathers so many meanings in it. Which is what? Whoever on that day does uh, 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 even uh, uh, mustard seed worth of good deed they'll see the result of it, and whoever does a mustard seed worth of uh, evil, they'll see it. Meaning, if you do something good with the donkeys that you have, then you'll get the reward for it, and, and vice versa. Uh, and so this hadith is extremely emphatic. And it should explain to a person something regarding how important the haq of zakat is. And Zakat really is a haq 
it's a haq of Allah Ta'ala, but everything is a haq of Allah Ta'ala. But zakat is even more emphatic. Why? Because it's a haq of Allah Ta'ala, but to who? To the poor. The people who the al-fuqara uh, al-masakeen and the amilina alayha and etc. All the different masarif um, of zakat that are mentioned explicitly in the surah al-tawbah. It's their haq, it's their right. And the person who doesn't pay the zakat, it's not like the person who... For example, doesn't pray their five prayers or doesn't fast. In the sense that you're actually stealing from somebody. And this is one of the wisdoms and the hikmahs of the person who doesn't pay zakat that the Ahl Sunnah consider that that person, you know, they should be, that that haq should be taken by force. That Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he, uh, he made war on those people who refused to pay zakat. And it's a very elegant solution. It's a very elegant solution. You see society is destabilized by inequality, wealth inequality. If you go super communist and like say, well, everybody works as much as they can and we split the money evenly because a disabled person cannot work as hard as an able-bodied person. What happens? Nobody does anything because if you don't have any incentive to work harder, is there anyone going to work harder? No. So you don't see the actual true communist countries being economic powerhouses. China has basically had to like leave their, you know, the actual philosophical communism for a type of totalitarian nightmare, which is like a co combination of the worst of capitalism and the worst of, uh, of, of, of old school communism. Otherwise, the Soviet Union and things like that, one of the things they were amazed by is how American grocery stores can stay stocked every day of the year. The problem on the other side, when it's completely free-for-all, that anyone and everyone makes as much money anytime and however they want to, what happens is inequality occurs. There are people who are left on the bottom side because some people, through their greed, they grab everything from people and they leave them, uh, they leave them with nothing. And so this is such a, like a, a beautiful solution to the problem. You know, I'm not trying to make it utopian. There's still issues. If pe people pay zakat, there's still problems. But it solves a lot of them. Which is what? Give a certain nisbah of your crops, a certain nisbah of your animals, a certain nisbah of your money, a certain nisbah of your goods, as the haq of the fuqara. And so there's no resentment in society when somebody comes to your country and tries to spy on you, when somebody comes to your country and tries to uh, divide you. You have love for one another because everybody takes care of everybody, right? If someone, you know somebody, you're following tough times and they help you out, then one of the reasons that you wouldn't be avid to like kill them and take everything from them is because once they're dead, then there's nobody to share with you, right? This is a simple rule, almost should not need to be stated, but we have to remember it sometimes because sometimes common sense isn't common, which is every nafs, whether it's a human being or an animal, every nafs is forced to love the one that's good to it. If a Christian is good to you, if a Jew is good to you, if a person who is like gender 57 is good to you, if a Muslim is good to you, if the Imam is good for you, if a scholar is good to you, whoever has been good to you your whole life and you could always depend on them, you're going to love them even if you say that I hate them. Inside your heart, what will you have for them? You'll love them. The idea is if somebody's not completely broken inside, that this is a reason they should love Allah because everything that was good to you, there's no good thing that you ever received from any channel whatsoever, except for Allah is the one who sent it. 
He made that channel and he sent that good thing to you. But the point is, the nafs is always going to love the one that's been good to them. So this zakat is a great blessing. It stabilizes society because we're good with one another. Lil'asaf al-Shadid, unfortunately, unfortunately, zakat has been turned into a joke in the Muslim world and over here as well. The rich don't pay. إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبُّهُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ وَمَنْ وَفَقَهُ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكُ وَتَعَالَى With very few exceptions, the rich don't pay. And then we wonder why our countries get bombed into the Stone Age. We wonder why, you know, like our community, pe- people treat us like garbage. We have no rights. We are the pariah of the country. Nobody pays zakat. How is your property going to be protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How are you going to have stability in your societies? How are you going to have stability in your transactions? How are people going to work together? A rich person may be rich, but you know, if you have a billion dollars and you're standing on the corner of North Avenue in Fullerton, that's not, you know, that's your problem. You know, what's going to happen? That's whatever's going to happen. You have like a billion dollars in gold bars standing there and you're like, please don't take it. You know, you need somebody at some point or another, right? You need to work together somehow. If people are so greedy that nobody works together anymore, then society falls apart. In this country, because people don't have sovereign power, they mess with the zakat in other ways, which is what? They misappropriate it and they use it on things that it's not supposed to be used on. It's supposed to be there to what? Bind the hearts of people. Somebody becomes a Muslim, they're not coming from stable situations. 99.9% of people who are in a stable situation, they'll never think about whether the deen they're on is haq or not. They're busy enjoying their life. It's a mercy that Allah Ta'ala makes life unstable sometimes so that we have to think about, reevaluate what's important to us in, in life and what's not. Those people need help, there's no help for them. Why? Because large corporations are using the, misusing the zakat. Large institutions are misusing the zakat. Legal uh, uh, law offices are misusing the zakat. Hospitals are misusing the zakat. The zakat is the right of the poor. You can't just say, oh, look, we're going to spend this money on the poor or on charity and use the zakat in order to build a masjid that's in a place nobody can get to without a car in order to put in like a $100,000 chandelier. You can't do that. It's haram. And imagine of all the stupid things, right, the people were getting like burned on their sides and on their foreheads and things like that, you know, because of not paying zakat. At least in the past, people were like enjoying themselves with that money. At least they enjoyed themselves in the dunya. How stupid is it? How stupid is it that you built a chandelier in the masjid and you're still going to get punished for it? But this has to do with our stupidity again, which is what? We see the value of the masjid and how pretty it looks. If you want to see spirituality and how pretty a building goes, then don't go to Makkah Mukarramah, go to Vegas. They have a stupid clock tower bigger than the stupid clock tower they built in Makkah Mukarramah. They have a buffet better than the buffet in like whatever seven-star hotel you have in Makkah Mukarramah. They have types of enjoyment and entertainment that are cheaper and probably more entertaining, at least for the, for the blind. But because people are unable to see past that, then all of these things make sense to them. They're like, oh, look, this is my zakat money hard at work. You cannot say, look, for example, if I owe you $50, right? And you're like, hey, where's my money? I'm like, you know what? I donated it to the masjid. Now you can go and use and benefit from the masjid. Is that fair? No, it's your $50. You should be able to do with it what you want. They're like, no, brother, what? You wouldn't have given it to the masjid? Say, shut up. This is a conversation that we're not going to have right now. Either you give the money to who, whose right it is, or you stole it and pay for it on the day of judgment. Lose the barakah in your wealth in this world, and 
the day that should have been like two rak'ahs before Fajr or half a day, that day turns into 50,000 years of getting trampled and scalded and like branded. It's not good, it's not worth it. So be careful where you give your zakat to. Ask people what do they do with the zakat money. Most people don't know the ahkam of zakat. If you don't know how to give it, then is there a chance? Is there much of a chance that you're giving it correctly? Absolutely not. Right? 2.5%. It's a lot more than 2.5%. Like there's a lot more detail that goes into it than that. So when you give your zakat to somebody, ask, hey, how do you guys spend it? Do you have like any ulama that like oversee how this is like uh, distributed or are you just kind of like fly by night? Yeah, no, we have a great panel of ulama and this and that. Okay, who are they? Go call that sheikh say, do they really listen to you or are they just using your name, name dropping, rubber stamping? Which is unfortunately very, you know, pervasive. If as a salik, a person who your life goal is to what? Travel the path to Allah Ta'ala. Whether you're a scholar or not. Whether you're super pious or not. But your goal is when I die, Allah Ta'ala should be happy with me. This is an important question you have to figure out for yourself so that you don't screw it up. This is an important question I have to figure out for myself so that I don't screw it up. Allah Ta'ala give all of us tawfiq. Sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.